All right, everybody. Welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Cochran. Of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. Rob, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest here at PodFest 2022? Well, yeah, let's let's do it here. I'm I'm definitely excited for doing the New Media Show from PodFest. It's been a great show. This is there's only one more day left, but. Uh, the episode today may be a little bit different than what we normally do, but um, it's, it's going to cover some topics around podcast networks and collectives. And I don't know that we've talked a lot about collectives in the podcasting space, but uh, we've got a couple of terrific guests with us. Katie Kremitzos um, is the founder of um, Women's Meditation Network. She's joining us, as well as uh, Marla Isaacson, who is the CEO and founder of OSA Collective. Uh, uh, Rob, that's OSA. OSA. Thank you for correcting me. Um, but I think it's terrific that they're both here and to talk about this very important topic because more and more podcasters are looking for collaboration, maybe um, people that they can work with to maybe become better podcasters, maybe do a little marketing of their show. And I think that these networks and collectives can serve a real important purpose in the podcasting space. So, um, Katie, if um, let's let's go ahead and start with you, and, and certainly Marla, if you want to want to jump in. Um, but let's let's start down the path of of why you guys formed what you're doing, you know, from a network and and a collective, and kind of how you got here. So, yeah, Katie. Hi, thank you so much, you guys. So I actually uh, consider myself not a grandmother of podcasting, but like a great auntie because I came into podcasting in 2014 um, and that podcast was called Biz Women Rock. And it was, you know, female entrepreneurs, interviewing female entrepreneurs. Uh, I had a whole coaching business. I did masterminds, had, you know, products, the classes, all the things. And it was wonderful and it was amazing and it was such a beautiful experience. Um, and in 2018, so about four years later, I got pregnant with my second daughter mm. and within an instant I knew I was done. I just knew I was done. I knew I didn't want to do it anymore, which was very scary right. because right. I was like, what do I, if I know that that's not what I want to do, what do I want to do? After many, many weeks, about two months of just sort of sitting still and sitting in the silence, lots of walks with my husband, um, I realized that I wanted to do a meditation podcast just for women. And while anyone on the outside who knew me under this biz women rock, you know, lots of energy, lots of, you know, let's talk about like growing your business. Um, anyone who knew me in that space thought I was nuts and would not understand why I would want to do a meditation podcast. Um, but I knew that I had been doing meditation since I was 18, 19 years old. I knew what a powerful tool it was. And I knew that it could be this next evolution of really the love and the energy that I really wanted to put out into the world, um, specifically for women. And so, so I started that podcast. The original was called Meditation for Women. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had my baby. So uh, just was managing like both podcasts, both businesses, both babies for about a year and a half. 
and then eventually actually said goodbye to Biz Women Rock uh, at the very end of 2019, so just shy of six years total for that podcast, and then went full force into the Women's Meditation Network, and that one po podcast is now seven podcasts that are a part of the network. Oh, that's awesome. And I have to disclose, Marla, I did invest in your company. <gasps> So I'm one of your investors. Todd, thank you. I do know that. <laughs> I was so, going to thank you privately, so, so thank you so much. For those of you that don't know, full disclosure, maybe you can talk about what you're doing there to raise sure. money. And I know it's not part of our agenda, but I thought I would mention it before we got started thank today. You. But yeah. why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself sure. as well. I'm Marla Isaacson. I'm the founder and CEO of ASA. And ASA is an advertising marketplace and a network for women and non-binary podcasters. Awesome. Now, we use the word collective because we are a collective of podcasters that come together to support each other. Um, my focus with ASA is to help uh, podcasters grow their show so that they can make more money. And that's really a big focus of ours. We do have a very supportive um, community, but again, it's about helping podcasters grow their show to where they want to grow it. Mm -hmm. So that's super important. How did I get there? It's very interesting. So my background is corporate marketing, worked mm -hmm. at American Express for a long time, uh, launched the blue card from American Express, began my entrepreneurial journey about 10 years ago. I founded a company called Like a Boss Girls, which was a women's empowerment network uh, platform for Millennial women, you know, how to get a job, you know, find a roommate, et cetera, et cetera. Did really well, enjoyed that. And then my team in 2018, and I'm not looking at the person who was part of it, um, basically said, you need to start a podcast. I'm like, what's a podcast? Um, figured it out, started the podcast, and I'm like, wow, this is great. And I think a lot of us have that experience, which is like, mm -hmm. whoa. This is an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, did my research, because my background, to find out what was going on in women in podcasting and found, lo and behold, women had some of the same issues I had, which is, how do I grow and monetize my show? So at that point, I think there were around 22, 23% of all podcast hosts were women, and I said, no not good enough. Um, this is a natural platform for women. So I started ASA to fix a problem that I saw in the industry. And um, I think it's important that we uh, support and elevate all underrepresented voices, and that's what we do. You know, if we go back to the beginning of the space, it was you know, heavily male-dominated, a lot of techies because you had to be techie exactly. to, to do a show. <clears throat> I think we've seen that change tremendously over the past five to eight years. And actually, right now, more women are creating a new podcast than men. And women yeah. of color are obviously right in there hot and heavy as well. So, you know, I always thought that the podcast space ultimately would be the place where people that had unrepresented voices would be able to speak because the mainstream media, let's be kind of frank, um, they have their own agenda. And I think with podcasting, it, it, it's an opportunity for anyone to be able to speak, have a platform, mm -hmm. and not have to worry about being moderated, mm -hmm. being silenced, or marginalized, or whatever it may be. So 
um, I'm exciting to see the growth of women and, and underrepresented groups in the podcasting space specifically. But I do want to, I think we, we have a small agenda today, but I did want to talk a little bit about um, the difference between a network and a collective. I even have used the word co-op before. Mm-hmm. When we formed the first tech network, we called it a co-op, and I'll be honest with you, um, the co-op didn't work because uh, even though everyone was supposed to be equally contributing, uh, no, it ended up being one person. So we ultimately made it a network and then basically had, a, had leadership within the network to make it work. So what's the difference between a network and a collective? So I don't make that distinction, actually. Um, we, as I said, we are a collective of podcasters. Right, it's just um, another term to describe essentially the same thing. Is exactly. Kind of what you're saying. And yes, okay. we are a network. Right. Um, but the reason why we used the word collective in the name is because I wanted to make sure people understood that we were going to try to embrace as many podcasters as possible. So we thought the word collective was pretty, you know, evocative of that. Yeah. And that's why we use the name. Yeah, I think from a word perspective, I mean, collective connotates to me almost like a collector of valuable things, right? Oh, I like and, that. And, Thank you. And that's kind of what, it seems like that's what you're doing, is that you're, you're bringing together and offering resources to, to help. And I guess that's probably where, where we should probably focus on if there is any distinction between a network like Katie, what you're doing um, with the meditation network, and what, you, you know, what you're doing, Marlo, uh, from a collective perspective, because I do think that the objectives of what you're trying to accomplish are a little different. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I would say my in my prior experience with my other podcast, with Biz Women Rock, I was have one of the biggest values of that company was actually to bring my listeners and my community together. I was yeah. incredibly active with making sure that that community was connecting, that there were events happening that could bring them together, that could help support one another. And very differently, when I went into building out the Women's Meditation Network, I actually knew that I didn't want that. And um, and this is, it's a little different, right? Because it's, we're supposed to be coming together, but I knew what kind of work it took to do that. Yeah. And I knew with a toddler and pregnant with a, another one, like I knew that I just did not have that energy to give. So I wanted to build a network of shows that could, that didn't have to have that maintenance of that community. It is an enormous amount of energy. Right. But I could have this, uh, this collection of, and this network of podcasts that could give these little meditations that could just help yeah. individuals. Um, and that's really what it could do. Yeah, because I think what you're doing is you build a network on a theme, on a, on a topic theme. Right. And then, you know, I listened to some of your, your episodes on a variety of your, um, of your podcasts, and some of them have, like, um, meditation music, yep. things like that. So you're kind of filling the spectrum of, of what a person might do if they want to get into meditation. And that's, that's a little different. I would say that's a pretty significant difference yeah. between what Marl is doing um, of collecting podcasts. Exactly. Like, my goal is really to allow someone to come in and start listening to the Sleep Meditation for Women podcast, for example, yeah. and then to be introduced to like the morning meditation for women. Oh, and she has a sleep sounds podcast too. Oh, she has a morning affirmations podcast. So like they can stay, I can sort of like corral them within, you know, this area where I can give them everything that they need within this niche. Right. 
Right, and I think that's a good example of what could be done mm -hmm. in other genres as well, and I'm not sure it's being done that much, so I think in some ways you're kind of opening up a kind of a new avenue for a podcaster to so have multiple we, shows. Sorry, right. we are yeah. trying to facilitate change in the industry. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We really are, and yeah. what we're trying to do is to help those podcasters, as I said, who want to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm who want to professionalize, who want to make this a business or a core part of their income, that's what we're there to do. And we have developed um, a lot of programming around that. We just ran a production camp. We had 20 podcasters come in and create four branded concepts in two days. Wow. It was amazing. Um, and on the other side, we also want to facilitate change from an advertiser perspective, which is to remind everyone how impactful podcast advertising really is, and that evolution is starting to uh, change as well. You know, I think there's, a, there's several categories of network collective participation. If you look at some of the traditional networks that are out there, maybe they're only focused on the advertising piece, cross-promotion, and then it's kind of loosey-goosey. And then, like you, you've collected a network of like-minded shows. Mm -hmm. You're all cross-promoting each other. You're trying to build an ecosystem. Where Marla, you're building the full, the full stack. And I think that that in itself is different than I've heard of a lot of networks doing, or collectives. Because so often they're only focused on the monetization and or networking piece. They're not really focused on helping people grow. And I think, or grow their business and do those things that are important in podcasting. But it's often a crapshoot when a podcaster is looking for someone to associate with on what they're going to get and the rules and the signing requirements and all that stuff. So maybe you can talk, both of you can talk a little bit about what are you doing how are you inviting shows? Is there a legal structure? Are there requirements? I'm kind of curious about that piece and both what you're doing. Or is it basically, thanks for being on board, we love you, let's go. Okay, interesting question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of layers to that. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Our focus is independent podcasters. Right. Um, we are not a hosting company. Yeah. We work with all hosting companies. That's not my focus. Right. Uh, the focus is to help independent podcasters grow their show. That's what we do. That's super important to me. Why are we doing it the way we're doing it? Um, because I'm curious. I have a lot of interests. And I'm trying to um, expand... Um, I think the full picture of what ASA could be. So, we are a supportive community. We do create initiatives to help podcasters interact with each other. We have um, an initiative called PodSwap. So, if I am a, um, a mom podcaster and I want to get on someone else's show, because we know that's a great way to grow mm -hmm. your audience, yeah. we have an internal matching system. So, you know, you can be on my show and I can be on your show. So what we're trying to do is make this very customer-centric and ask our podcasters and then our advertisers, what do you need? What do you want? And then my team, I love them, we come up with solution set to help meet their need. So I guess maybe I should have been more clear. I'm sorry. But what would, let's say 
someone's listening to this show mm -hmm. right now and they want to be part of the collective, what is the process for them to be a member or to join or what's that process look like? We try to minimize any barriers whatsoever. So ASA is free to join, no minimums and no exclusivity, which is extremely important to me because our our, again, our focus is to help people make money. I'm not going to put any barriers in the way of them earning any money. So uh, we just launched our app. That's our product, and it's easy peasy. You um, go on our app, click on it, and um, away you go. It's really simple to join ASA. We, we really want to make this easy. We want people to come into the community and self-select to what extent they want to be involved. So, Katie, how about you? Are you cherry-picking shows, or are you, how's that working for yeah, you? Yeah, great question. So, up until this point, I have, up until last month, my process for creating new shows has been um, completely data-driven. What, with my Meditation for Women podcast, that was my very first one, I would have all, all sorts of meditations on there. And then the pandemic happened, looking at numbers, they're skyrocketing because people are looking for ways to be less anxious. And I start really looking at the analytics. And the analytics were telling me, oh, your top six out of your top 10 shows are all sleep meditations. Great. Started a sleep meditation for women podcast. Um, six months later, sort of did another data analysis, looking at the downloads again. You know, top seven out of my top 10 are all morning, morning related. Okay, so morning meditation for women. Um, you know, I, on my sleep meditation for women podcast, I would experiment. This is a giant keyword. I would experiment with putting just sounds on there and just music, no guidance. Those were getting downloaded like crazy. So I created a sleep sounds podcast. Um, so everything so far with my first six shows, um, have all been me writing or producing or it's all been me. Now, my seventh show that just came out two weeks ago is called Morning Affirmations, Meditation for Women. It's my first time where I'm actually writing the script and I have a voiceover, a different voice who's actually guiding you through that. And I only say that because that's sort of step two of the next eventual process, which is I'm wanting to constantly maximize what podcast can me and my internal team do and create. And then there will be a point where, okay, well, what other podcasts are that out there right now that we can either acquire, bring into the network? And to your point, it has to be aligned with the mission right. uh, and how we are you know, producing what we're putting out there, the quality, um, the why. I mean, the, everything has to be super top quality. Right. So from a marketing perspective, um, in trying to grow shows, one of the techniques that's been common in media for as long as I can remember is um, cross promotion. Uh, so are you guys involved in like promo swaps and things like that with the networks that you're working on? Yes, absolutely. So um, as of this point, I really do it per show because every show has its own personality. Mm -hmm. Every show has its different types of listeners. A different listener kind of listens to morning meditation, these five to ten minute meditations versus somebody who's listening to the sleep meditation. Um, and so I've done a lot of promos uh, individually. I've done uh, a cross promo with um, uh, oh my gosh I'm so gonna forget it anyway some of the other like big sleep podcasts um, the tracks to relax I just did a recent promo um, the sleep with me podcast um, so uh, just really great podcasts who also have similar audiences and we yeah. the most important thing is that we have the same mindset about yeah your listeners like I'm not taking away listeners from you I want to share another great resource mm -hmm. 
You know, one of the success strategies that I talked about yesterday in my presentation was to join a network. And the, one of the questions that came up post-presentation uh, was a gal said, I found, haven't found a network that I feel comfortable in. And so I suggested to her that she consider approaching five or six of her most favorite shows that she loves and to say, hey, let's work together. And she said, well, they're not the same type of content. I said, well, that's okay because there is some cross-compatibility and it do you don't have to build a genre-specific network. I think the key is, is if you're going to join or build a network is to find shows that you love, that you can work with, that you can cross-promote, that you can say, tell your audience without any hesitation, I want you to listen to this show. So I think if anyone that's listening to this is having a hard time finding a network, consider building your own. And I'm not saying it's easy because you know yeah. it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Katie's, I think Katie's a really great example of that, of taking a, a genre and then building on it, right? Yeah. Creating, creating something new. Um, and, and I think it's a, maybe an opportunity that more podcasters should consider. Is, so as you guys think about building your platforms or your networks, is there an upper limit, do you think, how many shows that you guys can handle and drive value to? We will uh, support as many shows that want to join ASA. Got it. And that's true, because I really would like to serve as many podcasters as possible. Okay. And as we get more shows on the network, I will grow my back office to Got make it. sure that we can support everyone that wants the support. That's extremely important to me. Right. The, the customer experience, that's the most important thing. And, you know, it's trial by error. We make mistakes. We mm -hmm. learn. We grow. We're adapting. And again, that's why we built our product, our app, which is going to help automate everything that we used to do, for the most part, with, as I say, scotch tape and paper clips. <laughs> um, it's just going to make it a yeah. lot easier um, to serve more people. I want to move our topic along a little bit, talk about women in podcasting. I think, uh, you know, Rob and I were out at NAB, and we had a difficult time <laughs> finding a lady to be on our panel. We actually finally found one and it was the best discussion I think we've had in years on the show. Yeah. So it was just because NAB was kind of an event where there wasn't a lot of podcasters. Mm -hmm. So here we are at a, an event that's chock full of podcasters and diversity and the whole nine yards, but how important really or how significant do you feel is that we've seen this wave of influence of women coming into podcasting? You know, from your guys' perspective, I know what it is on looking from the hosting side. We just see the raw numbers. But what do you see from the women that are coming in and, and the influences they're making? Women control 85% of all U.S. household consumer purchases. Right. Well, that's certainly true. So yeah. that's something to consider. Get the mic. That's what you need to know. <laughs> exactly. So uh, women in podcasting. Uh, not 100%, but a good majority of their listeners are right. women. Right. So uh, the more the merrier. And we do control the economy. And we drive the economy. So let's get more and more podcasters in there who are, 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 are attracting and talking to audiences that are predominantly women. Right. 
Yeah, and I think if you think about the values of podcasting, I, I, I've thought about this a lot over the years because I have seen this explosion of women coming into the medium, uh, is that just their, their approach to content, their approach to communication is very um, aligned with the values of podcasting. Um, um, trust is important. You know, emotion is important. Um, being able to communicate effectively uh, is is very important. And if you think about women and their 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 general, I hate to stereotype, but they their general characteristics are very good at all those elements. And I I wonder if they're if women are really going to eventually be the majority of podcasters out there. You know, I, I hope so. Yeah, um, I really do. Yeah. But I think. Sort of what you're talking about is the sense of collaboration, which right. I love yeah. a lot about the industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, at ASA, we work with so many different um, organizations and companies. Yeah. Um, we can't do it all. And the fun part is finding partners to work with us so that at the end of the day, we're offering our network, our podcasters, as much as we possibly can, as much value. Mm -hmm. So collaboration is great. Women are really good collaborators. Yeah. That's what we do. And I think, you know, from a 30,000 foot view, women, anyone who is, who has been underrepresented, I think that it's just about getting more voices into this space. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the more, the more individual voices who show up and tell their stories, who have other people on their shows who tell their stories, it just validates and shines light on that, that, human being and I think the more we can see each other as human beings and right. you know that we we are validated we are connected and this mm -hmm. podcasting is just such a beautiful tool to be able yeah. to do that yeah. one of the examples I've talked about several times on this show I was at Dragon Con a number of years ago and I was what is that I'm sorry what is that Dragon Con is a event a in Atlanta Okay. It's a huge conference. It's a huge conference. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, Robert, everybody get dressed up in costumes yeah. of like uh, popular um, cultural characters, Animated, movies, films, movies, yeah. all this kind of. Katie, stuff. I think we need to go. <laughs> so they, they have a digital track, and Rob and I were sitting in the back of the room, and there was a, um, a diversity group that came. We were talking about how podcasting had changed how they get messaging out. And the example they gave is they were doing a local community protest. The news truck from whatever local television showed up and instead of talking to the organizers, they walked over and talked to some guy on the side of the sidewalk mm -hmm. versus getting the direct message. And it, frankly, it pissed them off so bad that they say, we have to figure out a way to control our own messaging. So they started a podcast because of that sole event with their interaction with media and their lack of regard to even talk to them about why they were there protesting. So I think that in itself defines what this medium can do. And you don't have to be a diversity group to have the same type of reach, but I think it gives those groups that are often ignored the ability, and I think we've said it already in this show, is the ability to you know to have a voice and that's the key and that's what katie that's what you said as well we look at our the the podcasts on our network they're incredible mm -hmm. really unique voices really interesting stories 
and it's a pleasure to help them elevate these stories and get get it out into the into the world. And that's what's so great about podcasting. And I think it's important with the world we live in right now is to have lots of perspectives. Yeah. Absolutely. Because sometimes the mainstream media and advertising drives agendas that we're presented to. And I'm a big believer that mainstream media does nothing but hurt our mental health. So I listen <laughs> yeah. to a lot of podcasts. And I, frankly, I, I do. I think it's true. And I think it drives division in the country. Yeah. But I think podcasting allows us to have the ability to hear lots of unique voices I think we all know this. All of us here, podcasters, we're all shaking our head. Yes, I'm um, preaching the choir. But related, it also gives this giant open space for creativity. Mm-hmm. I have zero background in meditation, other than I have been someone who's been meditating for you know for twenty some odd years now. Um, I should not be able to give guided meditations. I don't have a certificate. I don't. I have not been trained in any particular school of podcasting, but I'm a writer, and I wanted to be able to sort of like use this tool of a meditation to write love poems to women and to tell them that they're good enough and to tell them that you, you're going to be okay and everything's okay, calm down, take a breath, to, to really like infuse my own mes- message of love into every single pair of ears that's listening. And I, podcasting gives me the freedom to, to create and to like experiment. And I would never be able to do that in more traditional areas. Well, because they trust you. And that's so important about podcasting. When you think about the relationship between the audience and the host, that's inc- that is, you can't even measure the value of that. The, the group that I was kind of surprised about that has kind of sprung up is on the faith-based side. Of course, we've seen a lot of faith-based shows that are the preacher that is you know doing his mm-hmm. sermon. But oftentimes, the women that are running the ministries and that type of stuff in those faith-based they're really not publicly heard. So podcasts for them have become this new outlet on the faith-based side for them to have influence where maybe they're not having it at the pulpit. So I know not everyone is, is faith-based, and, but I thought this was an interesting perspective for me. Again, it's another unrepresented group within their subcategory that allows them to have a voice. So I think we've already realized that podcasting is just open and good. So are you guys involved in any kind of um, revenue-generating activities with your networks um, currently right now, um, helping your podcasters maybe find advertisers, or are you working with third parties for, for, for that type of thing as it comes up? That's what we're about. Okay, awesome. We are an advertising marketplace. We've worked with Katie before. Yep. Yep. Uh, we Very do whatever well. we can to uh, match podcasters okay. with advertisers. Right. And as advertisers are becoming more and more familiar and understanding the value of podcast advertising, mm-hmm. um, we're able to increase the number of deals we're doing. You okay. know, it's been a little challenging for a while because, you know, we would have advertisers come talk to us. I'd like to do podcast advertising. What is podcast advertising? So it, you know, we had a lot to do. We had to do a lot of education yeah. in terms of the value of podcast advertising. Right. So, what we do is we do facilitate these ad deals, mm-hmm. but we also talk to our podcasters about other ways they can make money. Okay. So, join Supercast or Patreon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're very niche, go to your local. You know, our sewing podcast. Go to your local Michael's Craft and have them sponsor you. 
there are many different ways to make money. Right. And we try to um, help educate our podcasters that there's not one way. Right. Yes. So you guys are agnostic to the hosting platforms, right? So yeah. uh, do you mainly drive host read type advertising campaigns or are you getting more into other types of advertising that's becoming popular like programmatic and dynamic ad insertion and those kind of things? So um, we mostly do host read ads. Okay. We do um, support um, dynamic um, Mm -hmm. That's Katie. That's that's less because we know that host red can be done via dynamic ad insertion. That's yeah, totally I can fine. too. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Programmatic, no, no. I mean that's not been a, a any part of our business, and the stats are still very low with programmatic. Um, so it's not necessarily something that is on our radar right now. However, what we are looking to do is we have a huge back catalog. Our podcasters, uh, mm -hmm. 1,400 podcasters, have bad catalogs. So right. we are looking to work with other companies right. to help our podcasters monetize their back catalog. Okay. Yeah, well, see you, what that, that looks like. You know, the challenge with back catalog, and, and <laughs> I just, I've said this stat a thousand times, 90% of podcasters globally deliver 90% of their lifetime downloads in the first 96 hours. There are shows that have long tail, and those are mm -hmm. like... Uh, you know, you you might as well just print money with those. Those are great shows to to you know have reoccurring revenue from that content that you've created once. But we still see Rob and I, from our perspective, it's still the three percent of shows that are being monetized, and ninety-seven percent of shows are not. And my perspective is that programmatic has come of age with CPMs running as high as maybe as fifteen dollars CPM. There's potential here where podcasters are going to say, okay, that's high enough to be able to consider it. And we can fill that back catalog, mm -hmm. all of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there will be risk as this programmatic stuff comes on that potentially <laughs> the CPMs will go back down because right now there's a lack of inventory for programmatic. So just because it is, then the CPMs might be a little far artificially high. So we'll see. And then, then what's the breaking point for podcasters? 15, 10? Our podcasters going to still run programmatic if it's at five, um, maybe. <laughs> but my main point was at least to put some money in podcasters' pockets, so at least it's mm -hmm. not a a pit where they're just spending money and not getting anything in return. While at the same time not overloading right. the podcast with advertising too, because I think programmatic right. does have a risk of that happening. I think if you think yeah. about the combination of host reads plus programmatic advertising and Many shows are, are, are doing this. They're, they're running a host read, and then they're running a couple of different breaks, early mid-rolls, later mid-rolls that are dynamic inserted uh, in combination with that. And there is a risk of overloading ad, ads in there. I, I think podcasters right. need to take a step back if they're right. very focused on monetization right. and realize that there are a whole bunch of different ways. Oh. That they can monetize. Yeah. It can be a combination well, of programmatic. there's premium subscription. There's other exactly. things. Exactly. Right. But what I'm saying is you can do some programmatic and you can do regular host read ads. Right. Depends on the composition of your podcast and mm -hmm. how you want to make money yeah. from them. And, you know, I think we all know that there's a myriad of ways to make money, but more than 50% of podcasts out there don't care. They don't want to make money. They just want to do their show, or maybe it's a funnel for their mm -hmm. business. There's a different objective. Right. So I think we often get wrapped around the axle just a little bit on monetization, and a lot of podcasters try to monetize too early as well without focusing on really building sure. their right. show and 
you know, basically well, having to figure out what their voice is. Yeah, I think there's um, kind of an education layer that still needs to be done out there around um, what it takes to be able to qualify for advertising. Now, granted, some platforms out there are, are pushing programmatic advertising into a show that's just launched, doesn't really have an audience. Uh, so that is happening in the podcasting space. But I think generally, if you're going to make any uh, relevant income <laughs> or, or any kind of money in podcasting, you need to build an audience, right? Of at least right. probably one or 2,000 people per episode, right? Also, the multiples don't make sense to actually do it. Well, what we're, what we're trying to do yeah. right now also is to do more 360 campaigns. Right. And again, we'll be able to do this with our app because we will be offering consolidated analytics for our podcasters so that we can go to an advertiser and say, well, this podcast may only have right. 500 average download per episode, but look at her Instagram following. Let's do a 360 campaign. Yeah, so are you thinking more and more about YouTube, too, in this context? It's all going to come into the mix. It's, right. it, it, again, it's very, very podcast. And, right. God, TikTok. <laughs> don't go there, right? Don't, yeah. yeah, don't go there yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, give me a heart attack. Okay. <laughs> you know, but going back to the 360 campaigns, mm -hmm. they're tough because it's usually you're dealing with a digital media buyer that's authorized only to buy mm -hmm. audio. Yes. They can't buy Instagram. They can't buy YouTube. They can only buy a certain niche of content. So I think that if you're able to facilitate the ability to do a deal or it includes all of those platforms, right. I think you'll be very successful. I, I'd like to see how you do that, to be honest with you, because you know we've been struggling for years to get podcasters on the same playing field as, let's say, an Instagram influencer, you know, and tie that yeah. in. So I think that uh, there's huge potential there. For so, sure. Todd, what we do is we actually have a direct sales force. So we go directly to brands. That's okay. one air avenue. So okay. then when you're dealing with a brand, you you're could talk a little bit more holistically. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it, yes, it's way more difficult when you're talking to a media buyer or oh, an yeah. agency. It becomes a very different kind of conversation. And sometimes brands do not allow you to talk directly to them. You have to go to their media buyer. But if you can find ones that don't have those policies in place, I think you'll do well. Yeah, the key is getting to that person in the company instead of being shoveled off to Mediacom right. or somebody like that. So how do you guys traffic the campaigns that you sell into it? Do you guys manage that for the podcaster or do you hand it off to the podcaster to, to work with their, their hosting platform? They're working with their hosting platform. Okay. Um, that's not one um, challenge I decided to take on. <laughs> okay. You guys do it better than I can ever do it. Yeah. So um, it's really up to the podcaster to manage your inventory. And what we do at ASA is we offer campaigns to our podcasters. Mm -hmm. They're free to turn them down. Yeah. If okay. they are at capacity or they don't feel that the campaign fits within their brand, that's right. fine. That's great. So Katie... I heard you're doing a little bit of programmatic. I am, yes. Yeah, so talk about your experience with that, and how are you? How are you keeping that uh, sense of host red sounding like it's part of the content, not just dropped in? So this has been a an evolution. When I first started the meditation podcast, I was like, "There's no way I'm going to put programmatic programmatic ads in. That's too abrupt. It's horrible." 
And then I would go over to YouTube and listen to a meditation there, and I would have a programmatic experience at the beginning of a YouTube meditation, right? And I was like, oh, this is, I, it's just a learning, like it's a consumer knowing what to expect and, and having a, a sort of understanding of this is what this is. So I decided to experiment. And I think about a year ago, I sort of turned on programmatic ads. And so where I was then, it would be a host read, it'd be a little welcome host read ad that sort of was like in the same cadence of the welcome, very meditative kind of a voice. Um, and then it would be a programmatic ad. And it was terrifying to me to, to, to start it, but I was just like, let me see if I get feedback, let me see what the, you know, what I got. And my download numbers kept going up. I was like, okay. I didn't hear any feedback about this. Um, mm -hmm. So I just kept going. And I recently uh, switched hosting platforms that allow me to increase the amount of programmatic ads. And I want to say actually this from two perspectives. So from the business owner perspective, from the network creator perspective, programmatic ads are so much easier to work with because there is not a back and forth right. of right. doing this management. And even though the CPM might be lower, it could be worth it if I want the time. Right. So, um, so that's one thing. And then there's also, so I was like, okay, well, let me experiment. Maybe I could put on some more programmatic ads and see how that works. And I, I'm just at the beginning of that experiment. Um, and I'm, I'm early enough to recognize, okay, I kind of need to rework how I'm organizing and engineering a particular episode. And the challenge I have is that I cannot put in, I can only do pre-roll. I cannot have a mid-roll. There's no person in this world who would forgive me if I interrupted your meditation with an ad, no matter how beautiful it sounded, right? And I really can't do post-roll either. I can't do, you know, a, uh, an advertisement at the very end. So, um, so I'm really limited to what can I do within a pre-roll that, that allows the listener to get it, right. to, to be trained, like I'm training my listener on this is how it is. I definitely have you know, inserted little portions that are like, hey, I'm so grateful to you for listening to these sponsors who help make this uh, meditation free for every single listener. You're always well, if you really prefer an ad-free experience, you're always welcome to go over here. Um, thank you so much, and then the ads start. So it's an experiment. You know, I think, you know, Rob and I have continued to see, and we talk about it quite a bit, is ad load. And, you know, if you, the podcasters that are listening to this on the recorded show, they're, they're going to just roll their eyeballs and say, okay, we've, you've told us many times, but some of these shows are getting some, like, radio-level ad loads where they're running two or three ads within a 15-minute segment, running two or three ads in the next 15-minute segment. So you can see a six and seven ad load, and I think that uh, each podcaster, in my opinion, has to determine where that breaking point is yes. and be careful not to go over it. For my personal show, I knew I could do two ads, two host endorsements, but now I'm doing one programmatic pre, one host endorsed, and that's the limit. If I put a third in the audience, I can see the numbers because they start bailing out. But yeah. you just said what's really important, which is ask your audience. Right. You, know, right. you know, always have the pulse on your audience. And the audience will tell you if it's too much. Well, they won't tell you. They'll leave. Yeah, that's they'll what I mean. Listening. By walking out the door. Yeah. Yeah. 
Katie, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, as you set up your programmatic um, campaigns, uh, most of the platforms give you the option to opt out of certain advertiser categories. Yes, yes. And so how did you go through that process and decide who you were going to exclude or and did you exclude? Yes, this is actually, this literally just happened last week. So yes, I went through and excluded um, my business brain was like, no, I want to invite all advertisers on. Like, why would I limit, right? right? But then I really had to think about the values of me and what I'm really trying to, to communicate here. So I can't, in my right mind, write a meditation about love your body and allow weight loss ads to be on the show. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and I didn't do that at the beginning. And so I kind of re went back and I was like, okay, I really need to like get squared away. So I went through like no men's health stuff. I don't want Viagra to be on a women's meditation podcast. <laughs> um, you know, like no religion, no politics. I don't want anything like, like, activating mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's like 17 different categories actually that I've excluded mm -hmm. and I, I may do more because there's mm -hmm. there's no lack of them coming through in the, the ones that I am allowing yeah yeah and there's also subcategories too that are that are being pushed out more and more as well to get a little more granular yeah. on this this topic because I I think there is or has been up to this point a, a risk of shows accident accidentally getting advertisers that they don't really want. Yeah, uh, like that little, just yeah. happened yeah. last week. Right. <laughs> Not a good well, thing. Well, that was a display deal with Spotify, but yeah, yeah. I think the risk still exists, uh, even on the audio side. Mm. So that wasn't an audio ad, but, but it certainly could have been. Yeah, I think the approach that yeah. we're going to take is we're going to exclude some of those categories that are just not going to be good it, it, to begin with. Religion, sex, politics, uh, marijuana, that those types of categories, we're just going to remove and not even have them offered. Now, if we have a cannabis show that shows up, then they're going to want the cannabis stuff turned on. But I think that uh, uh, we just have to be careful not to assault, and I use that word literally, we don't want to assault our audiences with something that we shouldn't be applying to them. In your case in point, you've excluded a lot of categories. Well, as a network owner, I have made a decision that I will not accept uh, gun man manufacturer ads, nor will I accept tobacco or tobacco product ads. Mm -hmm. It's just not right. my, within Makes my sense. mission. Yeah. CBD is fine. Mm -hmm. that right. could, that's a separate category, but sure. those categories are not acceptable to me. So is that part of the, the, the agreement? Is there a physical agreement that a show signs with you guys that, that stipulates some of these uh, maybe terms of service? Might we be have good, terms of service, right. and when you enroll, you opt into our terms of service. Mm -hmm. uh, if anyone ever has any questions, we, we're always uh, you know, free to answer them. Right. We don't have to stipulate that specifically in our terms of service, but okay. uh, that's just my policy. We've uh, talked a lot about advertising here. I think we want to move on uh, from that. We could probably talk for another hour just on the brand safety aspect of <laughs> oh, some yeah. of this as well. But um, normally in this show, we talk a little bit about stuff that's just happening in the podcasting space as a, as a, as a general. Mm -hmm. um, Rob, you just came back from the UK from the podcast show in London. Mm -hmm. How was your experience? Yeah, it was a, a very impressive show. Um, there was about, I guess it's come out in the last 24 hours that there was about 5,300 people that wow. attended over two days at that uh, conference in, in London. I was there for day one, but I, I flew to be here uh, 
the second day of the event. So I, I was trying to fit in both events because they were overlapping by one day. Uh, so I did talk to the podcast um, show folks and, and tell them it'd be great if they pushed it off a couple of days so I could at least you know fully attend their event. Um, but, but I think it, for a first year event, it was very impressive, I have to say. I mean, it was sponsored by Amazon Music and Spotify and a lot of the bigger bigger corporations that are in the podcasting space. Uh, it was very, very well attended. But, you know, the UK and Europe is a little bit of a different market um, for podcasting. It's, it's very much reflecting uh, what we're seeing in the broader medium of the professionalization of podcasting. It was really a... I put it probably a little closer to to podcast movement from the standpoint of participation of big brands and big corporations and big media companies. Um, there weren't a lot of uh, UK-based commercial radio people involved in this, uh, which isn't necessarily surprising to me, but, but it definitely was... Um, you know, the pure play podcasting platforms uh, were there in force. Uh, the other big thing that I saw there was the presence of YouTube. Um, YouTube had like banners up all over the place. YouTube, podcast, 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 like at the front of the, the complex coming in. And they had sponsored um, meeting rooms in the facility um, to have podcasters talk about what they're doing with YouTube. So there, there's definitely something brewing with YouTube. Um, it, their interest in podcasting is pretty significant from what I saw over there. So I'll say those are the key takeaways that, that I saw, but it was, it was quite an event. So obviously we're here at PodFest in Orlando, and uh, I guess I'll just ask the both, you know, you, you're on the front lines of this with Chris, <laughs> yeah. but uh, definitely indie event, seeing a lot of indie, I'm just yeah. curious, how many of you in this audience already have a show? How many you think about doing a show? So yeah. about half and half. That's about the distribution. Yeah, I think, right. I think it's been more coming to the booth about 80, 20. How about you, Marla? What have you seen? A lot of independent podcasters. A lot of, yeah. uh, although a few coming over and saying, well, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Yeah. And we use three words, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Get it going. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, we're... The show is obviously living up to its reputation, being yeah. an indie mm -hmm. indie event. A lot of uh, a lot of folks here kicking the tires to see if they want to do a show, which excites Rob and I from a vendor standpoint because mm -hmm. we want to catch you coming in the front door. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So um, so I think Podfest is. Uh, I don't know what it is. Has Chris released the numbers? What did he say? How many people? I don't know. He hasn't released the numbers yet. Okay. I haven't heard anything either. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm feeling like. Maybe fifteen hundred. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just doing, you know, just it feels, doing the doing. It big. Doing it feels the, like full. Yeah, doing right. the kind of like air test. <laughs> yeah. um, Spotify just uh, announced call to action cards, and I really I'm not up to speed on this. Rob, you put this on the agenda. What what is that? Maybe we can talk about it. Well, it's an effort that I I learned a little bit more about, you know, when I was over in London. But um, they were. They're putting together visual display ads at the beginning of the ep of the playback of episodes in their platform. So, I think this is um, this is an effort on the part, and we're probably going to see other listening platforms do similar things. But the the desire to monetize the listener experience. Um, now, granted, platforms like. 
Stitcher have been doing this for, for years, so th this isn't necessarily something new, but, but, but I do think that what they're trying to do is align the audio ads with the, a little tile that comes up right when you hit play, uh, because they know that you're probably looking at your screen uh, right at the beginning, but then the ad disappears within like, I don't know, 10 seconds or something like that after, after the show starts playing, because people, they know that you usually put your phone in your pocket and keep listening, so you're not looking at the screen the whole time. Yes, uh, I, you know, again, uh, you know, I go back to there's a price to being on any platform, and Spotify has got to figure out a way to pay for their hundreds of million dollars investment in the space, so... Yeah. It looks to me like then they're going to start monetizing off the category, the, the content that's in the platform, and as we expected, the podcasters are not going to get a cut of that. They're just uh, yeah. that—that's the price of being on Spotify—is being have your audience subjected to their advertising. The yeah. question is, will they start doing pre-rolls in front of the content? That's yet to be the TBD. Yeah, we could potentially see that in the future. Um, what do you, what yeah. would you feel about that if Spotify started running pre-rolls against your content? Well, that's pretty much what you're talking about, right? Well, no, that's, it's a display ad. It's actually like a, the old banner-style ad. Right, but well, it's coming up like right before. It would probably be only done on shows that um, uh, Spotify controls, uh, gotcha. I think, is at this point, or they own, or uh, that have, a, have some sort of an alliance with them, maybe even coming out of Anchor. Mm. Um, I can't imagine that they're doing it with all shows in the platform, um, but I'm sure they would love to. Uh, it's just, can they get away with it? I think this might be the way to think about it. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any other comments. Yeah, I just think like, hey, let the platform do what it's going to do. Right. I don't get, I have no control over it. So my thought is, is if somebody really doesn't like it there, they're going to go listen on another platform. They're going to go find it. Right. They're going to find another app to go listen on. And we're removed from that because we don't host. Um, yeah. You know, our, our network consists of the independent podcasters. So it's really going to be up to them to decide how they want to interact with Spotify or not. Yeah, I think it, I think it is up to the podcaster because the podcaster always has the option to remove their content exactly. from a platform that's monetizing around them and not sharing that. So um, who knows? We may see that happen more in the future. Um, it's hard to say. Um, one of the little data point came out um, from the Edison Research folks uh, was saying that seventy five. Okay, let me back up. You can reach seventy five percent of the U.S. listening audience in the top 500 podcasts. What's your reaction, Todd? What's your thought on that? I think podcasts as a whole are largely non-duplicative audiences, especially when you're talking about, you know, power podcast listeners listen to six or seven shows. So, you know, that's what they've come up with. I'll let them stick with their number, but my data doesn't show that on the you know, on, on the 100,000 shows we're looking at. So I, I don't think so. But they say top 500, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't listen to necessarily a top 500 my show myself, personally. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, what, what do you think? I don't know, I feel like that does a disservice to like the I don't, the like the diversity of interests out there. I mean, of course, the popular ones are the popular ones. Everyone okay. talks about them, mm -hmm. but like, I don't know, especially if, you know, the average listener is listening to three, four, or five podcasts, there's right. no way that all three, four, or five of those podcasts are in that top 500. And you would think that they would be listening to maybe one or two, 
more popular shows, right. and then yeah. again go into their own personal oh, interests. Yeah, and, niche and, content. Right. So, that, right. so that's what they're really saying here. Is with seventy, and Tom may disagree with this, but they're saying here that seventy-five percent of people that listen to podcasts today are, are listening to at least one in that top five hundred. Uh, so I mean, that I I think could be yeah. possible. A lot of people listen to the daily. Yeah. You know, it's really That's a true. popular show. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess we'll see. You know, I think that the beauty of the space and, you know, you, you're running networks is w there was always this worry of when we started Tech Podcast was always this worry that we would lose audience to each other. Mm -hmm. But what we really did was build audience together. Sure, there was a little horse trading here and there that happened. But that's going to happen during the normal life of a show anyway. You're not going to mm -hmm. keep an audience member forever. They get sick and tired of listening to you, and they're going to go somewhere else, and maybe they'll come back if you're still in the space long enough. But I think the value really is is all, all tides rise together when you're, when you're as a collective group. Yeah, I also worry that these, these kind of numbers um, may, be, may be indicative of what we're starting to see in the research, too, of... Um, ad load issues because the the top 500 shows are probably getting a lot of interest from advertisers, right? Um, trying to reach that 75% is that's very attractive to an advertiser on a scale scale buy, um, and there's, it's going to be really tempting to put more ads in those shows, and that may be driving this perception of audience that podcasting is starting to get overloaded. But, but I would say to you that they, advertisers need to look at influencer research as well, right. because nano and micro influencers um, do extremely well, yeah. have very loyal audiences, so you can't walk away from them. They, yeah. they buy a lot of, yeah. of stuff. I, I've got 15 years worth of data that shows small shows perform at a higher ROI to mm -hmm. advertisers than right. big shows, but here's the deal. I can say that all day long, and these advertisers don't care. They're buying volume, and often it's a volume play. Now, if you can get the volume, doing a collective deal where you put 50, 100 shows on the same buy exactly. without them cherry-picking, but the problem yeah. we've run into over they the years cherry is they cherry-pick. Right. So yeah. I've adopted the stance, you take them all or you take nothing. Mm. And when you do that, and they agree, then they look at the performance of the campaign overall, and I don't let them use a different promo code. We use the same promo code for all shows. doesn't allow them to cherry pick. You either succeed or fail together. Um, it's a hard sell, but that's how you get money into the 97% of shows that are not being monetized today. This yeah. is still a new industry. Right? I, I think. Well, well, I mean, yes, you guys have been around for a we've while. We've been through some cycles. I know that. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm yeah. but I'm talking about from an advertiser perspective, it's yeah. still an educational process. Well, they started out um, early in this medium, and Todd will attest to this, buying wide, buying lots of shows. 500 shows on a And buy. so what we've seen over a period of time is the, the gravitational move towards only buying big shows. Yeah. And that's, I think this is indicative of why we're seeing this 500 number, um, is that that's what's happening. And this is one of the reasons why I have tried with all my soul to bring that money back into the lower group. And I beat my head against the wall until I basically, I should have an indentation right here. Um, I, I don't think they're coming back. I'm sorry, I'm going to say that. So that's why we're, we're going programmatic. Because I got to get money back into podcasters' pockets. I got to get them so that at yeah. least, you know, if you're a small show, 
you're going to get a small check. If you're a bigger show, you're going to get a bigger check, but it gives you the ability to at least to grow into that bigger check by building your show, maybe giving you a little resources to get those couple of years in to get that show growth to where it needs to be, where you can, you can make some decent money. Yeah, I agree. I think programmatic is really uh, potentially the, the answer to going wide. Because I do think that the buyers are more willing to buy wide on programmatic platforms. Uh, because it is more um, like what they've typically done in programmatic, like um, in other platforms. Um, but the, the host read buys and stuff like that are so labor intensive that they, they can't justify the, the staffing time and the follow-ups and, and just the, um, the hand-holding that's required to do but host reads. But they're very effective. We know that. Oh, we know they're effective. Yeah, totally. There's, there's no doubt. So if someone actually figures this out, I've got uh, 40,000 shows. We'll let them all go. You Do you have more advertisers coming to the fold for you right now? Yeah, they're starting. Yeah. yeah, because well. they're starting to understand more about podcast yeah. advertising. So we have bigger uh, advertisers coming to us and smaller ones who are saying, what, what is this yeah. podcast advertising? Let's dip our toe in the water. Yeah. It might just I, be I, the wave where you've got like that first round of like, the big media, right, right. that are yeah. going to spend the money. They're, they're maybe done and beyond, yeah. right? But then you've got these other, yeah. you know, people who are really getting, oh, or podcasting is great to advertise on and really mm -hmm. coming into the space. So, And working with the brands directly, that's key. Anytime you have a media buyer in between, it's just... Uh, there's other agendas there's going other, on. There. It, right. it can be nightmarish, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. It's that, but the same caution with the smaller companies is if a small company comes in and buys a $5,000 ad buy and one that comes in buys a $50,000 ad buy, you never hear from the $50,000 ad buy to the end, but you hear from the $5,000 ad buy every week or every day. So there's a different level of work depending on the size of the buy, but that's just mm -hmm. semantics here. Yeah, and tech isn't really the, the issue here. Um, and, and I think that's... I think programmatic has been kind of demonized a little bit over the, the past few years because it's been linked up with a certain kind of content um, that's been flowing into those programmatic platforms, which is more like radio ads. Um, but the tech isn't really a problem. Now, granted, the ad buyers don't really value um, any kind of dynamic ad insertion over host reads, baked-in host reads, because guess what? They get free inventory um, with their campaigns. So, so any kind of dynamic, pre-recorded dynamic ad insertion of a host read uh, will always be valued a little less. But, I, yeah. but I'll go back, Rob, and it say... It doesn't have to be, but that's kind of where the industry is right now. But again, that baked-in ad for 90% of shows doesn't matter. That 10% of shows, they should not be baking them in and leaving them in. Right. right. It's bad for that's the my, listener. That's my thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's bad for the listener. It's bad for the podcaster to leave them in, I think. Or those yeah. shows that have true long tail. Right. Instead of the laid-up hockey stick where it goes just like this and then flat lines for forevermore. So just one quick thing. Again, we've launched an app, and part of the, the, the feature, a key feature of the app is a DIY component for an advertiser. Right. Um, we're trying to minimize the workflow. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible to get that ad done. Right. So we're coming down to the end here. Uh, take a few minutes. Marla, why don't you talk about what you're doing with your fundraising? Well, thank you for that, and thank you for investing in ASA. So I've been bootstrapping the company. 
um, because I believe in it. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to control the destiny of the company. Um, so we evolved the way I wanted it to evolve. So why am I doing crowdfunding now? We're building this technology. I want to accelerate the growth of that technology because we're really excited about it. Patent pending is going to offer, it's going to change our lives internally, and it's just going to make it a lot easier for our podcasters to manage their shows. So if, if I could you know, raise funds to help accelerate development, because we all know tech development is very expensive, right. that would be incredibly helpful. But I will do it regardless. But um, the investments um, will really help us push forward faster. And where can people go to find how to, uh, to invest? Thank you, Todd. <laughs> uh, we're working with a company called Start Engine. They're one of the largest crowdfunding um, endeavors around. So you go to startengine.com slash ASA. Right? I got it right. Startengine.com slash ASA. And what happens is you come to our campaign page, mm -hmm. which tells you a whole lot of information about what we're doing, why we're doing, you know, valuation, things that I'm not permitted to talk about on a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But we do hold AMAs. So at, at that point, we can uh, answer any and all questions that people may have um, about why we're doing what we're doing. Look, I feel very passionate about this. I'm all in. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. So I've put a lot of my own money in and will continue to do so. But you know, hopefully the crowdfunding will, again, help yeah. me accelerate where I want to go. Right. So, yeah, I want to ask one more thing. Um, so you talk about you, you're developing uh, a back end of sorts for the shows. What, what is the core function of the back end that you're trying to accomplish? The app will do a whole bunch of different things. Okay. So a, a big chunk of it is that um, if you're interested in joining ASA, it's real easy now to go on the app. Mm -hmm. To claim your show, we work with okay. different partners, with Podchaser, for example, and get your show on ASA. Um, we're rolling out the monetization piece in a couple of weeks, I think, week or so. Um, that's where um, brands will be able to go on the app. There's a web app and a mobile app mm -hmm. to actually um, you know, start a campaign to identify um, the right podcasters for a particular campaign. They'll sort through. That's one big piece of it. The other piece of it, which again, I'm a data nerd, this is important to me, is the enhanced analytics piece, um, which is if a podcaster is interested in knowing how she's doing holistically across all of her channels, okay. she will be able to do that. I call it personally mission control. Um, so that we're really excited about and we're adding machine learning so that um, there'll be predictive um, questions and answers to help podcasters pay attention to the metrics that they need to pay attention to. So the website? Uh, AsaCollective.com. All right, awesome. Katie, how about you? Where can they find uh, your content, your network? So uh, the easiest thing to do is to open up the podcast player you already listen to and just type in meditation for women and all of my shows will come up and just Subscribe to whatever you want. <laughs> so for those of you that are, the, uh, that are new to the new media show, we do this show every week, live Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Rob and I do uh, 
Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitter, Twitch, everything. Um, and it also comes out as a podcast at newmediashow.com. We want you to follow or subscribe to the show there. I always say you can get a PhD in podcasting by listening to the show. It's usually just Rob and I talking about the podcasting space. But events like this and others, we bring people in to talk about, uh, talk about podcasting. Uh, I can be found at, at Geek News on Twitter. Chris Todd Cochran on all the social. Rob, how about you? Yeah, I also mentioned that this is also a video podcast, so it's actually in in the podcast directories like Apple. You can subscribe to the video version of the show that is downloaded directly to your device. So, um, but we are on demand usually on all of the the live streaming platforms too. So, so you can do that. But I can be found on Twitter at Rob Greenley. And my email is robg at lipson.com, and we'd love to hear from you. And we thank all of you for coming out, and for Katie and Marla, thanks for coming thanks and sharing. So thanks, guys. Yeah. We definitely appreciate, appreciate it. it. And for those of you that are here in the audience, thanks for coming and hanging out with us. And for yeah. the rest of you, well, you're already listening live or, or listening on demand, so you guys know where to find the show. So everyone take care. <laughs> yeah. See you next time on the New Media Show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.